Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio, and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed, plus lots of bonus content, including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. You will also get bonus content every month, including the audio versions of my regular columns for ESPN. So do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so. Maybe even strangers in the street. Love you. Well, happy birthday to us. We're six years old. The big interview began with Gary Neville in April 2015. And to celebrate our anniversary, I still think of it as a huge privilege that nearly 110 interviews in, we celebrated our 100th uh, interview with Rio Ferdinand, remember? still think of it as a big privilege that in the midst of an extraordinarily hectic Premier League season, one of the key players this term, an absolute diamond of a footballer who mixes the ability to make it hard for opposition to play and then when he's on the ball, produce moments of vision and inspiration and technique. It's still absolutely great that somebody like that, John McGinn of Aston Villa, will take time and stop and sit with us for nearly an hour to talk through the interesting corners of his so far terrific career. In part one, and this is part one, you'll hear about how he got more agile, a little bit better able to avoid challenges on the football pitch by dodging fireworks. We'll run through one of the most evocative, emotive moments in recent Scottish football history when Hibs fans denied for well over a century the sight of their team lifting the Scottish Cup did so and were serenaded by the fans at Hampden with sunshine on Leith. It was a controversial day, but it's a day that will live long in the memory of anybody who saw it. John was there. He was playing. One of the iconic moments of Scottish football, he reckons. I wouldn't disagree. He'll talk us through how in a dark, cold, often damp uh, love street at Paisley, hidden under the main stand, he and dozens like him practiced 
Zidane turns and Cruyff turns until their feet were sore, but until the drill was in their minds and in the muscle memory forever. Haven't heard John speak so well about the life-changing decision when he was at Hibs and there were contacts from Celtic and the possibility of going to the club that he's always adored. And yet when they stalled, when they took their time, when they were complacent, how Aston Villa seduced him and how he made an extremely wise choice and came to England at first in the Championship, now starring in the Premier League. You won't understand this, but Jimmy from Bargeddy gets several mentions in this and in part two. You'll understand the reason why when you listen to John McGinn on the big interview. He's bright, he's articulate, he's generous with his time, he's funny, he's a really likeable man. But above all, he's a footballer of immense energy and immense tactical movement and ability to make opponents really suffer against him. And then when he gets on the ball, he's a footballer who can simply make his team better, score outrageous goals and entertain us. Which in the end, that's what it's all about. John McGinn on The Big Interview. Happy birthday to us. Welcome to The Big Interview, everybody. You've listened to me rattling on over the six years. Um, This is our birthday. We've got a birthday guest on. 20 million of you have tuned in to listen to the big interview, which is an awful privilege. And one of the things that I trundle on about most was the days when I was growing up, when we had Scots of absolutely fantastic European and world class down in English football, lifting the European Cup, lifting the title. It makes me very proud um, to welcome to the big interview today a a guy that's really enjoyable watching. Um, His club, the Villa fans, adore him. Um, people in Scotland knew long, long ago what a potent mix of intelligence and ferocity and technique uh, this man um, has. But he's proving it in the Premier League, reputedly the best uh, league in the world. Today we've got John McGinn with us. Uh, John, thank you for asking the club to delay training for an hour and everybody agreeing. I, I, I appreciate your status, but welcome to the big interview. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That was a nice welcome. Something blushing here. Well, no, it's the truth. I mean, I grew up watching um, Villa win, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was old even by then, win the European Cup with a couple of Scots in their squad. And um, I think from afar, having lived in, in Spain for 20 years, one of the things that makes me really proud watching you, and also as a football fan, makes me enjoy watching you, is that you have the, there are few footballers that have that powerful mix whereby... You can dominate a midfield in terms of position, um, ferocity, um, you're physically very strong, but the instant you're on the ball, the instant you see space, you've got a lovely use of the ball, you're looking to drive forward. If they're mad enough to let you around the edge of the box, any opponent, you've got what's called in this country, llegada. And llegada just means that ability. It's a brilliant one word. Spain's got brilliant vocabulary where we need to use 10 sentences. Yagara means just that ability to arrive at the edge of the box and do something special. This is a, a mix that makes you vital to Villa, great for Scotland, great to watch too. How much of your game as, as, you, as you have it right now is natural and how much of it is developed? 
It's actually, it's actually a tough one because uh, my game's evolved massively in terms of uh, when I was younger growing up, I was a wee left winger and I'll emphasise we anyone that watched watched me when I was younger, I was a wee left winger uh, the height of a sweary word as you get called in the west of Scotland um, and and from then, growing up at St Mirren, St Mirren was an unbelievable academy, amazing uh, and even still to this day uh, seem to produce players um, unex- unexpectedly probably for the the facilities they have and do you know what now they've got brilliant facilities they've got their own training ground but the youth coach at the time David Longwell he I worked with him for 13 years but he stressed the importance of technique technical ability um, and for anyone that remembers the old Love Street so it started under the stand so Sibirin had a big stand but they had an indoor uh, five-a-side pitch and it wasn't massive so all, all we, we managed to do in there we were doing Zidane turns, Cruyff turns, everything. And that was for about three, four years. So technically, we were always pretty good. Um, and then physically, it took me a while to kind of catch up with the older guys. So there was a gap after that um, between a, about 15 to 16, 17. I really struggled physically. But after I grew up and sort of grew up like my brothers, um, I had to change my position because I was no longer the height of the sweary world and no longer as fast so I had to adapt um, and Tommy Craig a well-known Scottish coach decided that I was no longer a left-sided winger or a left-back and, and shoved me into midfield and probably that moment changed my whole career there and then you give me a picture that I love because it's well, well before your time and I'm a lot older than you, but I grew up with footballers who inspired me, who changed my life really because they made me want to come and live in Spain and see a better quality football. But almost all the Scottish footballers who stood out there at any level when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, they had these tricks. Now, we don't need to talk about the death of street football and park football because there are so many causes and it probably began to happen even before you reached that um, height of a... But the picture, the picture of... The old, you know, um, St Mirren ground with a big cavernous stand on, on presumably cold and, and dank winter and autumn nights. And under the stand, there's a legion of wee kids practising Cruyff turns. And, and for anyone who doesn't know the Cruyff turn, it's, it's kind of showing one way and then going the other way altogether. And the Zidane thing is the kind of step in the ball and drag the ball and do a little pirouette, and all, which you, you still use in, in Premier League games. It's just something that's it's mad. See if a ball breaks. It's normally after a bad touch, I mean, but the, the amount of times I practised that under the standards that we're in, so it just kind of comes natural. Um, I actually got sent off for it. I'll, I'll go offline a wee bit. So I, I tried it. I've been sent off once in my career and it was for attempting uh, a Zidane slash Maradona turn in the box at Easter Road against Falkirk. Um, but I happened to get that rescinded because I personally went to Hamden to describe that there was no intent. I was just trying to do this turn, so I got it rescinded for that. Had you included had you included the Zidane headbutt as the end part of the turn as well? Was that had that been the problem that you do the full turn and then bosh like that with Matarazzi's? No, so I went. It was funny. I was quite nervous because we were in the championship at the time and we were meant to be playing Rangers at Ibrox, which was uh, a big game. One we ended up losing. Uh, I'll leave that out, but myself and George Craig was the, the head of football operations and both of us went in our, uh, in our suits. And it was funny, the way I went into the tackle, I kind of was 
I bust out another tackle and I was kind of spun towards. So I didn't actually see the guy coming. I just knew there was someone there. So then I attempted it. And while I attempted it, it was a bad tackle because my foot went over the ball. Um, especially with VAR. I definitely wouldn't get it rescinded now. But I think Matt, the point I was trying to make was I was trying to execute the turn. Then it came off. And uh, Mark Kerr it was, believe it or not, that was on the receiving end of it. And, got my marching orders for the first time in my career but I don't know whether it was because my grandpa used to be on the, the SFA board I, I don't know if that's why I got it with Cindy <laughs> another danger no no Mr Begin would never have interfered what I like a lot is that you know I think we've done John now 108 interviews everybody from Virgil van Dijk through Rafa van der Vaart the ex-Real Madrid president I don't know with Michael Carrick Darren Fletcher we've had lots of people actually that you've played with and against but interview two was Gordon Strachan he told us a story that while he was out of work he, he, he was furious he would go and watch youth football in Scotland and he would see young kids 15, 16 go and see the, the, some of the junior academy leagues and he said they would travel two, three hundred miles on a wet night in a bus they'd turn up and because of the brand of football he was watching with the ball treated like an enemy and lumped long he would count the touches and he'd say there'll be young kids have travelled all that distance they probably touched the ball 20 times in a game and he went into his garage emptied out his garage went to his garage um, told his missus I think to, to to set the clock for 60 minutes and whatever and he just him and the ball and the garage he was battering the ball off every wall to see how many touches he could accumulate when he was locked in that garage for 60 minutes and his point of view was practice touch grow comfortable make sure that it's almost instinctive that the, the way you cushion it, what part of the body you use, and then what you're doing with the ball. That kind of equates to what you were doing. You, you must recognise that from what you were being taught under the stand in, in Paisley. Yeah, it was. And, um, to be fair to David, David at that time had never played professional football, but he was so passionate about learning about the game. Um, and that's it. They gave him the platform to go and teach us a brand of football which was a bit different and I don't know I can't remember what the balls were called but for years and don't get me wrong when you're a wee guy you just want to use a size 5 and whack it as hard as you can but we used the balls that didn't bounce whatever the brand of the ball is called I recognition the first time I played in the 80s in Spain and, and the ball is smaller harder it, you, you can't you can't lump it it doesn't bounce it. so you have to learn your touch don't you I, I, so, and that, that was from an early age and even when even when you're watching boys you played with at that age, no matter what level they're playing at, the first touch is there and and they can play. Um, and that was all from the coaching we got. And the nice thing, because uh, the difficulty about youth football in Scotland now is, um, and probably a, English football has got the reputation of creating robots. Now, the one thing about St Mirren was you used to train at Fige or Fergus Park as people knew so you had to be streetwise, even for a young age. Um, and then it had a kind of boys' club feeling. So people always talk about the famous Glasgow boys' clubs, whether that's uh, Harmony Row that Alex Ferguson's involved with and drummy amateurs, teams like that. But St Mirren had a kind of mixed feel. So that's why I enjoyed it so much. We had the best of both worlds and you, you had the competitive edge, but then you were learning a kind of brand of football, which was quite unknown at that time. And... I'm just glad I came up through that that pathway, definitely. Yeah, the last one in this. How streetwise did you have to be at Fergusley Park and why? So do you remember do you remember Riyad Mahrez? He did a trial, didn't he? Yeah, aye, but 
I didn't train with him, but I, I don't know if it was his relations. I, I was going to ask him the other night, but he spent too long doing stepovers and, and beating us. But um, I, he came with a group of people. Now, I, I think I trained with one of the younger ones. Now, this was this must have been a, a massive culture shock, but Ferguson Park, great facility, but in what was probably, I think at that time, it got named the most deprived area in Scotland for two or three years. Now, the best thing for us as young people were we, we trained all the time and on a Friday night. So you got away from the distractions, which is which are very easy to come by. But the t- distractions were right in front of us because they used to be guarding around the fence. So bonfire night, uh, we were doing a shooting drill. And, uh, my old coach, was he was funny because he didn't really let it deter us. But we were, I think we were 13, 14, we were doing a shooting drill and we are dodging fireworks because we were launching fireworks into the... I wondered where you got that when this commentator says, and we can step the shoulder. <laughs> I could, I could probably play in Argentina. <laughs> can, can, can you beat us? We had a school game once we were up there playing Peterhead, and at halftime we were walking off, and the little urchins in Peterhead ran on and stole the metal goals <laughs> and melted down the goals, so we had no goals sitting half. I don't know if that equates to fireworks, but I do like that character in Scotland. And you, you've given me a nice segue because we've got people who've been with us backing us all the way in the six years. One of them is Kevin Jimenez. So Kevin has written in, and it's a good little note he's written. Kevin goes, Living in London, I've only recently discovered the song Sunshine and Leith, and I've become obsessed with it. I've seen the 2016 Cup final footage where the Hibs fans sing it with the players after winning the Cup. It was spectacular. It gave me goosebumps and brought tears to my eyes. What was that special moment like for John? I'm envious you experienced it. I think that's... Some of the things we try to do in this book is just be honest and open and talk, not like journalists and players, but, you know, I was in Barcelona. I'm not a Hibs man. I'm an Aberdeen man. I love Aberdeen completely. It's Hibs Rangers, so you kind of... You're shouting for Hibs as an Aberdeen fan. You're 2-1 down. You've had a good game, a really good game. Um, Andy Stokes, 80 minutes gone. There's the goal. The winner comes in. Liam Henderson plays out in Italy now. Tips it in. And I'm standing nose-pressed to the television in Barcelona just soaking up the drama and thinking this is Scotland does this quite well because the cops don't understand the fans are about to invade the pitch even from Barcelona I could see it coming you know and I didn't have sergeant stripes I know it's coming there's a full pitch battle on the pitch between the fans and the players and I know hello everybody at home don't try this at home we shouldn't approve of it I'm just lapping it up and and the presentation and that and the singing has to wait until the battle's finished which is terrific and then even as a non-Hibs fan, I'm standing watching that and I, I'm a wee bit, I can feel the emotion now going, I'm so jealous. Can you encapsulate the feeling of those last five, six minutes, the winner, and then what happens afterwards, particularly the singing? Just a, a surreal day. We'd lost a, we'd lost the League Cup final uh, to Ross County at Hamden, but it could have been an incredible season. Now, you probably you wouldn't swap it for the world because if we if we won the league cup uh, or got promoted through the playoffs, which full credit to Falkirk, they knocked us out. Um, but we might not have won the cup in the manner that we done. But what a what a brilliant bunch of boys! Honestly, it would have been a it would have been a crime for us not to have a trophy that season. Um, and then the game was just an unbelievable spectacle. People down here don't realise about the sort of atmosphere, the build up with the. Then we stayed at the Cameron House in Loch Lomond. Then you come to the game and it was just, there could have been, they could have fat, uh, fit 100,000 in that stadium that day. The atmosphere was incredible. Rangers, 
uh, needed the, the win just as much as us to kind of get back on the winning trail. Uh, they had won the league, but they wanted it badly and we wanted it badly. And just the whole game, we played well. And to be fair to Rangers, they played well. But when Hendo came on, um, we always felt like there was an opportunity to get a goal for his deliveries. Um, so Hendo whips it in, we get, this, we get the equaliser and you think, right, let's go. So I was just preparing for, for extra time. But in fairness to just before we get the corner for the winner, Fraser Fivey goes on a dribble. And I'm thinking, where's he getting this energy from? I'm starting to dread the, the extra time. So Fivey goes on a dribble. We actually nearly score. And it goes up for a corner. And then Dave scores. And I just remember there's a video from the, the Rangers end of the press box. And you can just see just the relief. I think the amazing thing is players like uh, Lou Stevenson, Paul Hanlon, Dan McGregor, they knew, they knew exactly what it was like being a Hibs fan, tormented. Uh, the 5-1 game with Hearts, having to watch Hearts parade the trophy around the city, they just had that rubbed and rubbed right in. And I think when the whistle went, I was first off. So I was first off the pitch. I went running towards Paul Hanlon. So I'm in the tunnel and then the boys start coming in and dribs and drabs and the Hamden tunnel has got big doors so one of the boys said have you seen it there so I opened the door and I just seen six or seven police horses all in the middle so it was a bit strange and by then I thought it was just um, Hibs fans on the pitch celebrating but I would have been a bit naive to think that uh, the Rangers fans would just let that happen um, and, and stay in their seats but so then it started to get a wee bit messy and in fairness to Kenny Miller I don't think we would have managed to lift the trophy if it wasn't for, for Kenny Miller so the Rangers players and uh, staff were, were really frustrated they weren't willing to go and get their medals but Kenny Miller came in basically understood that it wasn't our fault as players congratulated us all and says I'll make sure you get the trophy so we managed to get the trophy the only disappointing thing is you dream about winning Scottish Cups and doing the lap honour but I think there was a, something a wee bit special just standing up on the podium and listening to Sunshine on Leaf now never growing up did I ever think I would ever have any attachment to the song I knew it I liked it but it wasn't until um, the first Edinburgh Derby when, when you hear it it truly is a special song but at that that time I don't think it'll ever be beaten honestly one of the best Scottish football moments just sitting there and I remember my mum was just uh behind us on the podium she's crying her eyes out she's got a big green jumper on you can see her in the highlights but I think just for any football fan um, that doubts the passion of the Scottish supporters and for them how much that meant to the Hibs fans and we could we could spend the whole podcast talking about the party after it and the open top bus it was just scenes that I don't think we'll ever see again and I'm just so proud to be part of Before the rest of this big interview, I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel. We've begun filming all of our interviews, and there are already loads of clips with guests, including Rio Ferdinand, Connor Cody, Brendan Rogers, and Jamie Carragher, plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. When you make the decision that it's time to move, it's really clear that you had an option, that Celtic was an option. But I'm guided that as soon as you kind of see what Villa means, the, the, the training ground, maybe even ahead of Villa Park, because at this stage signing you haven't... You haven't um, I've always admired people who'd rather take a risk or even have an adventure than be a big fish in a small pond. It's something that drove me. I did a stupid thing, flipped a coin, came over here. No money, no contact, no language. Here I am 20 years later. So maybe I'm naturally a bit built to admire you. But I wonder, you'd have had bumpy moments as a youngster where... For a short term in football, you don't have a contract, you don't have a job. And and Andy Roberts is another guest on this podcast, and he talked about his time when he was told, no, 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 and he's working marks and Spencer's, whatever. You've also had a time where in the hospital, life is is quite a precious thing. And, and I think that changes a man. When the decisions are made, is it pure bowled over by Villa? Is it a little bit about more adventurous because of what you've been through? How would you describe the way you make the choice? By far the toughest choice in my life. So I spent 15 years as a season ticket holder at Celtic with my dad and my brothers. Um, always dreamed about playing for Celtic. And that's something that probably never ever leaves you. In fact, it doesn't. So the summer before... Uh, really close to going to Nottingham Forest um, on deadline day. Ironically, it was Mark Warburton and David Weir who were in charge at the time. But on deadline day, so it was, it was, it was tough because you have to balance, the, you need to weigh up, is this opportunity going to come around? I was, I was loving my time at Hibs, I didn't want to leave, but I wanted to test myself at a higher level and I wanted to, to go and see if I could do that. But full credit to my agent at the time, he... Um, 
which is why we've got such a close relationship. Me and him are really close mates, but it would have been very easy for him to do what I was kind of getting pressurised from Forrest. They wanted me to push through the move. But it was, that's not my nature. It's not um, what I wanted to do. And he was fully on board with that. So he said, listen, just back yourself. I believe you're a good player. You believe you're a good player. A Villa might come up next season. But I wasn't thinking of a, a Villa. I was like, a good one. But he actually said that 12 months before I ended up at Villa. But in my head, I'm thinking, Celtic may come in. That's what I was thinking at the time. So I managed to have a good season. You, you, you read the reports and you see that Celtic are, are interested here and there, but you never actually believe it. So then it gets to the end of the season, Celtic put in an offer. It was way below what, what Hibs wanted. But when that first offer comes in, you start thinking, right, it's done. It's going to happen. So it was just a waiting game. The longest waiting game ever it ended up being. So we've, I've ended up back for pre-season and it was, it was ironically, again, Neil Lennon that was the, the Hibs manager at the time. The Hibs were amazing. Hibs, it's not a popular decision if you go for Hibs to Celtic, but I think everyone, the supporters, um, the board, we all had a kind of understanding that it was what I wanted and I respect that I wouldn't have kept the door down. I wouldn't want to ruin what I'd kind of built at Hibs. I wouldn't want to go and do that. So I, th- I thought it had to work both ways. So initially it wasn't happening like that, but we ended up getting a wee bit more guarantees that things were going to progress. So, a funny story, I remember driving a, um, a European qualifier in the Faroe Islands with Hibs. So I'd been told Celtic are going to make an offer today for not to play in the game because I'd be an in-cup tied for the European games coming up for Celtic. So I'm, I'm waiting all day, nothing happens. So I'm going on these winding roads in the Faroe Islands, no knowing if I'm actually playing in the game or not. So I, I think at the time... Uh, my agent was waiting. I told my dad, mum and dad, of course, they were waiting. Nobody had a scooby. The players didn't know what was going through my head. I'm sitting staring out at the, uh, the windy roads. But to be fair to Leanne and, and everyone at Hibs, they were waiting as well. They didn't know sort of what was going on. So I'm at checking the pitch. don't know why I was checking the pitch. It was AstroTurf. And uh, the gaffer came out, uh, you know, and at the time, and we were speaking, we were just, uh, he, he was so good at that. One of the best man managers I've, I've had. So relatable, he knew what I was going through, he knew what I wanted at the time. But the offer didn't come for, for whatever reason. Um, so I remember speaking to the manager, then I phoned my dad, my agent. It was sort of a three-way call and I just thought, no, nah, I know what, I'm playing. I'm playing, I'm playing in the game. Nothing's happened playing in the game. So so I played. Um I scored that night actually, and it was good. Good performance, a bit wild, a bit of a wild game, but is that, is that a sort of seventeen goal thriller where you're two 0 down and it ends up six four? Or I think it was that it was against uh, Runovic, but we yeah. convincingly in the first leg. Even then, it was just a roller coaster because I thought, do you know what? I was I was proud of myself after because I thought this is, this isn't right. This is I need to play in this game. Behaviour matters. Choices matter. Behaviour and loyalty and doing the right thing still matters. That shines out in you, and I think everybody who loves football understands that I believed in myself as a player so I thought right well if someone wants me they're going to try a bit harder to get me right so then I, the doubt started getting in my head and I'm thinking is this the right thing Do and then it started becoming a wee bit of a, a sitcom so it was getting getting more and more publicity offers eventually came in so then you start thinking see 
you're for the west of Scotland that you'd be naive not to think you, you switch on super scoreboard every now and again and you've got Jimmy for Jimmy for uh, Burgedy phoning in saying ah he's not going to get a game he's not going to get a game so you're in but that was that was quite a popular opinion at the time so then you started worrying you think am I, am I making a decision with my heart here am I going to go and sit on the bench and at that time Celtic had an unbelievable midfield who had gelled together. Um, I think Stu Armstrong was still there. Christy, Scott Brown, um, Sham, all of them playing at the top of their game, bearing in mind. So there was no doubt I had belief that I was going to go and play, but then I had to weigh up everything. Still in my head, wanted to play for Celtic, no, no doubt about that. But then eventually time went on, and believe it or not, I think this was August. So I don't know how it managed to get to August. I, I have no idea. <laughs> You, you, you can answer that for me, but I, I, I started to become quite good at just playing, playing. And do you know what? It probably spurred me on to play better. So in that spell, it was probably uh, some of the best football in my, my career. We managed to uh, win in Greece and Europe uh, with a good start to the season. And do you know what? I, I, I ended up being content with just playing football and I just managed to block out the noise. Um, that's what it was at one point and, and there wasn't really a, a resolution. And then um, Villa got a takeover. So I kind of knew there, were, there was a wee bit of interest. Um, Villa got a takeover. Uh, and the next thing, next thing you know, I'm walking around there for a festival and uh, my agent phoned and says, oh, do you want to go and have a look at, at Villa? And at that point, I'm like, aye, aye, I'll go and have a look. Uh, and I didn't end up coming back. Didn't end up coming back. I went to the training ground the stadium and I felt like the way I was kind of treated was just perfect and that was that was a hard moment because I remember speaking to mum and dad and, the, and we kind of resigned defeat to the, the Celtic one mum and dad grew up edged uh, in Celtic I wanted to play for Celtic but it just wasn't right now it's something that maybe in the future you never know but that that is something that I can't affect now it's, it's went past and at that point, there was a bit of me that had to go and I had something to prove to, to a number of people. English football didn't have a clue who I was, first and foremost, which I quite liked. I thought, right, fresh start. Um, people up the road that thought I couldn't play for Celtic. Jimmy from Bargeddy, for example. You're lying if you say you don't think, oh, all right, well, I'll show you. I'll show you. But I'm kind of proud of the way I, I dealt with it because it would have been very easy to do the wrong thing. But I felt at that time uh, we dealt with it magically. And then there was just something surreal about the night I went to Villa Park. They, they were quite clever in the way they'd done it. So they, they, they left a wee bit of the floodlights on. They knew I loved number seven. So the number seven shop was there. Walked them into box seven. Everything about it was just class. And I think my dad knew at that point I had made my mind, I had made my mind up. And it wasn't even a case of I had to choose because it never even got to a certain stage where it was an A or B. The A was just there. From then, I got flung straight into the into the game against Wigan at home, and it was just mad. Thank you for listening to the big interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at ACAST 
and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.